Christmas Eve, we conclude the season of Advent with our celebration of Christmas. To begin, we relight all four candles of our Advent wreath. We light the candle of hope because Jesus gives us hope. In Christ, we confidently trust that our God keeps all his promises. We hope in our Lord as we eagerly await his glorious future return. We light the candle of peace because Jesus grants peace. In Christ, we have received true and lasting peace. We have peace with God, for we have been eternally reconciled to God by Jesus' blood on the cross. We light the candle of joy because joy br- because Jesus brings joy. In Christ, we have joy that remains steady in the storms and trials of this life. We cling to Jesus until the completion of our joy, the day he comes again. We light the candle of love because Jesus is love. In Christ, we have the very definition of love. God loved us first, sending Jesus to live a sinless life, die an atoning death, and rise in victorious resurrection. And now, on Christmas Eve, we light the center candle. This is the Christ candle. Jesus is born, Jesus has come, Jesus is king. Let us pray. Glorious God, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, help us to remember the amazing gift he is to us. Give us confidence, hope, and Christ alone. Grant us peace that surpasses all understanding. Bring joy to our souls in all circumstances. Lead us toward a life of love, both for you and for others. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The passage is from the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Hear now God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, 
which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. truly and wholeheartedly received 
these truths that we're going to talk about this evening, then all of the joys of the season, the presents, the feasting, the, um, the, the family, the friends, the time off, all of that, we would enjoy exponentially more if we truly received what is on offer here this evening. And so maybe this is the first time you've thought about this ever. Maybe it's the first time in a long time that you've thought about it. Maybe you have uh, every year for decades celebrated the coming of Jesus, whoever you are. I I want you to once again look at these truths and be in awe. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for for gathering us together to to sing and to to um, to pray and to look at the Word of God that shows us the the fulcrum of all human history when the eternal Son of God became a baby boy. Lord, I pray that my words be, would be your words, and I pray that you would move Holy Spirit such that everyone here, everyone is drawn near to you as a result of our time together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The text on the back of your handout, your bulletin, um, says it begins with Caesar Augustus. And it says that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, the Roman Empire was probably the most powerful empire in in all time human history. And I'm going to show you a map of it. Rome is on the upper left of the screen. And it includes all of this territory. It was a republic until about 27 B.C. And then, and then it became an empire. And there was one emperor. And Caesar Augustus at this time is the one in charge. He is the most, at least by all appearances, the most powerful man in the world. And so when Caesar Augustus says jump, everyone else in the empire says, how high? That's right. You go. And so you, ha- you start with, All the world should be registered. That's the known world there. And we are going to see the big picture view. And then very quickly, it goes to the close-up of this area down at the bottom right where that red circle is. And that is the nation of Israel. And that's the close-up of the nation of Israel. And I want you to notice, by the way, that these are real people and real places. Caesar Augustus was a real emperor. And Quirinius, a real governor. Syria is a real place. So is Galilee, Nazareth, Judea, and Bethlehem. Luke is the writer. He was a doctor, and he was also a meticulous historian, and he is writing history. This is, it it feels like a fairy tale, like too good to be true, but it is a true story. It's true. And the claims here are not that this is a a myth or a fairy tale that this actually happened. And so it goes from all the world, and then the satellite vision goes right down to this place in the north in Galilee where there is this man named Joseph. In verse 4 it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea. That's the, the lowest part of the screen. To Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is just above the region where it says Judea. So Joseph was in the line of a man named David, and David was one of the most important figures in the Old Testament. He was the king, and he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. So because Joseph comes from the line of David, he has to go from Galilee all the way down to Judea 
to be counted. And just so you know, Joseph looked um, very little in his vocation like David's vocation. David was a king. Joseph was a carpenter. He was a blue-collar guy. Nobody knew who he was. And he was betrothed, which means he was engaged to a um, probably a teenage girl named Mary. And Mary was not just uh, merely an anonymous person like Joseph. She was in a worse position because she was pregnant and she was not yet married. Now, if you uh, have been around Christianity, you know that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit and that she was a virgin. She hadn't yet with, been with a man. But how many people do you think earnestly believed her? She was probably an outcast. She was probably treated as someone who has been deeply ashamed for some great immorality. So that's Mary. And they have to go from Galilee to Judea. And it's, um, let, well, let's say you wanted to leave here and you had a hankering for roller coasters. You, and you wanted to go by foot. You walking to King's Island is the distance from Galilee to Judea. Except Mary was nine months pregnant. And whether by donkey or by foot, that they had to make that journey. Now, I have no idea what the conversation was like on the way. But personally, I feel for Joseph more than anybody in here. That was a joke. Uh, it would have been a very uncomfortable uh, traveling to, to Bethlehem from Galilee. And they get there, and, and look in verses 6 and 7. It says, it, it, it's so, like, it's threadbare. There's, there's very little to it. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, th this is a picture of a couple that is, they're, they're really... Nobody, nobody knows about, nobody cares about them. And if you just had the first seven verses, you would think, so what? Why do we need to know about this couple? So, question, where, what was the setting for Mary giving birth to Jesus? What's the picture in your mind? What is the, the setting? Uh, is, this, is, this is the time for you to speak up. A castle, a smelly old barn. Um, okay, so I, I think for most of us, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I think for most of us, if you have a nativity scene in your house, it's like a, a barn. And this is uh, the great painter Rembrandt. He, he painted this, the adoration of the Messiah, in 1646. And um, it's hard to see, but, but the shepherds are kind of in the background, and and there Jesus is, and, you know, the light of the world has come. And, and so a lot, what's in my mind, at least, is, is that of a, a barn. But in the early church, it was believed that the, the Son of God was actually born in a subterranean cave. And here's a picture of the Church of the Nativity. This is in Bethlehem. And um, in, in the time when, in the first century... And into the second century, the Roman Empire was trying to destroy Christianity. And one of the things that they did to destroy it was build a pagan temple there. 
And Constantine, when he became emperor in the 300s, he destroyed that pagan temple and he built this church because it was known to be the place where Jesus was born. And here's a picture of the subterranean cave right there where it is said that Jesus was born. Now, I don't think we know for sure that he was born there, but whatever the picture in your mind, I I want you to be clear that this is not a place where human habitation was the, the way things were. It just was not prepared to be a place for people to live. And and so Mary gives birth to Jesus in a place that is not fit for human habitation. That's the point. And she swaddles her newborn son and she lays him in a, a manger that by day is a feeding trough for animals. I mean, could it be any more humble than this? And then Luke shifts the scene and he goes out to the hills of Bethlehem and there are shepherds out there. And those shepherds, by the way, they're practicing the same vocation that King David did before he became king. David was a shepherd himself. So perhaps in the very same area where King David was from, there are these shepherds and, and they're, they're minding their own business. They're tending to uh, their sheep and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This was not a cute, cuddly angel. Uh, it wasn't, it's not the kind of angel crocheted onto a pillow. This was a terrifying, supernatural being created by God. And angels are terrifying. We know that because every time angels show up, virtually every time in the Bible, what happens? People are scared. And, and the angel has to say, What? Do not be afraid. You don't have to say, do not be afraid, unless you uh, scare people. So he says, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Caesar Augustus says all the people have to go wherever he says. But there's a baby being born, bringing good news of great joy for all people. By the way, uh, bringing good news, bringing gospel was something that the people in power did, the emperor did. Jesus is the good news. And the angels are bringing it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Angels, spiritual beings, created by God. They are, they're doing three things in the Bible when they show up. They are worshiping God. They're giving messages to God's people and they are going to war. Do you know who they're warring against? They're warring against God's great enemy and our great enemy, Satan, who was himself a beautiful angel who rebelled against God and would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. And he rebelled and so did a number of other angels and they serve him now, Satan and demons. And angels go to war on behalf of God against the enemies of God. And in this text, we see all of that. They're worshiping God, saying glory to God in the highest. They're bringing a message to the shepherds and they are going to war. And Jesus' birth is a declaration of war. You heard this in what the choir anthem just sang. 
Let all mortal flesh keep silence. I want to read a portion of it. It says, Rank on rank the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way. A vanguard is like a leading segment of an army. As the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless day. That's Jesus coming from heaven. That the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. Jesus comes to bring peace, but before peace is war. And the angel announces it in the three titles that he gives to Jesus. What does he say? Well, he says, um, he, he says, unto you is born a Savior. In verse 11, you can see it, a Savior. A Savior implies that you and I need to be saved, okay? That we have been actually captured by the enemy. He is Christ. That is the Greek for Messiah, which means the one, the king who the Old Testament looks to and points to. King David was uh, a, a figure that predicted Christ, okay? So he's a king that's been predicted for thousands of years. So he's a savior, he's Christ, and he's the Lord. Do you know there was a, a saying about the em emperor of Rome? And what is it? Caesar is... No, he is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And if you were part of the empire, you could keep whatever gods you wanted to worship, the, the local deities. But you also had to offer a pinch of incense into the fire out of worship of Caesar. And you know what the earliest Christian creed was? Jesus is Lord. The angel is saying, uh-uh, there's a new king. And that king is the king of kings. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is coming to do war against Satan and against evil. And G.K. Chesterton, who was a, a prolific writer. He actually was the greatest influence on C.S. Lewis. If you've ever heard of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, G.K. Chesterton wrote around the turn of the 20th century. He was a very uh, joyful and exuberant and massive man, 6'4", 300 pounds, and he wrote like it. And he was absolutely uh, a joyful Christian and this, this is what he said about the birth of Jesus. He had the cave in mind. He said, by the very nature of the story, the rejoicings in the cavern were rejoicings in a fortress. There is in that image of Christ's birth an entrance into enemy territory. Jesus entered enemy territory when he was born into this broken world. And as an adult, we, we know very little about his life from age zero to 30. There's very little in, in the Bible about him. But at age 30, he's baptized by John the Baptist. He goes into the desert and he fasts for 40 days. And then he goes head to head with Satan. He's tempted three times and he overcomes each temptation. And the war is on. And as he preaches and teaches and loves people and cares for people, what does he do? He heals diseases and he casts out demons. And then he he teaches about the kingdom of God, and then he sends his disciples out at one point to go and do the same thing. And miracles are done, and, and demons are cast out, and they all come back, and they're like, Jesus, it's amazing. Listen to all these things that happen. And, and what does Jesus say? He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And, um, and he continues 
to do battle against Satan. And we have a call coming in. Um, it may be silenced soon. Uh, so he goes into, he's heading to Jerusalem. And as he's heading, he, he, says, he says this. He is, he is uh, wanting everybody to, to know who he is. He's wanting everybody to, to, to be on the, the side of love and peace and, and joy. And, and he's drawing near to the city. And in Luke 19, he says, um, it says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. And I want to know this evening if you see what was hidden from the eyes of so many of the people that Jesus came to rescue. Do you see Jesus for who he is? Because that's why you're here. You're here so that you can know who Jesus actually is. And before peace, there's war. We cannot win the war on our own. We cannot improve ourselves to be good people and acceptable to God by trying really hard to do good things. Because within us is a huge problem that we cannot overcome. And that problem is our own sin and our own selfishness. The Bible calls sin just anything that we do in rebellion against God. And all of us do it. You cannot win the war. But Jesus can. And he did. And from the very beginning, his birth was an entrance into enemy territory. He lived a perfect life. And then he died a terrible death on the cross to pay for our sins. But from the very beginning, the end was in view. I want to show you a painting by a guy named Bartolome Murillo. He was a Spanish artist. He, he painted this in the 1670s. It is not an actual historical event in Jesus' life but it is a theological statement that gets to what I'm trying to communicate. And it's a, it's a portrait of Jesus, what is imagined as Jesus, and he's, he's napping as an infant, and what is he laying on? Do you see it behind him? It's a cross. It's a cross. And his right elbow is on the, the crook of what? A skull. Where was Jesus crucified? Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Jesus' perfect life, his terrible death on the cross, and his incredible resurrection were the decisive blows to Satan's kingdom. Colossians 2.15 He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I don't know uh, all of you. I don't know um, where you come from or, or what you believe. I don't know if you are young or old or if you're new to this or not. But I want you to know that you have a problem and that problem is that you are in a war, and on your own, you're going to lose. You cannot, you cannot fix the problem that you have. It is an eternally weighty problem. But Jesus did for you. And if you simply acknowledge who you are, that you are indeed someone who falls woefully short of who you ought to be. We all are. And you look to Jesus as the one who won the war on your behalf. And you trust in the Christ child as the one who came to be king over the world. You will have peace. You will. 
But apart from repentance, that means turning from your sin and turning to God and having faith in Jesus, you will be at war for the rest of your life. You will be at war with yourself, and you will be at war with the God who made you. The battle against your own selfishness and rebellion is a losing battle apart from Jesus. So I want to know, do you believe this? Do you believe that it's true? Do you believe that Jesus actually is who he said he is and who the angels revealed him to be and who the shepherds saw and who they went on their way glorifying and praising God because he had come? Do you believe that? Because it really is as simple as that. And I, I want to share with you, a, a Tom Heine's a writer, he, he, he says this, and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're close to believing. Maybe you want to believe, but you just can't quite get there. This is what Tom Heine says. He says, the debates about Jesus Christ have changed very little in 20 centuries. Is he really the Son of God? Faith answers, yes. And yes, rather than maybe, is still the entry requirement it is easier for a young child to utter yes than it is for an adult, as Jesus said it would be. But if you get close enough to the edge of saying yes, you could find God pushing you off the edge and then catching you on the other side where gratitude makes children of us all. Come to Christ. It is really as simple as you laying down your life and trusting in Him. And when I say that it's simple, I don't mean that it's easy. Because Jesus requires all of you. He requires every part of who you are. He doesn't say, just bring these parts, but the other parts that you want to do on your own, that's fine. He doesn't do that. He says that you need to lay down your life and follow Him. And that's not easy, but it is quite simple. And I, I promise you, if you do that, you will have peace. You will have peace. Now, I, I don't mean that you'll have an easy life, and I don't mean that all your problems will go away. I mean that you will have peace through all of the difficult things that happen. Christians are, we, we are sinners like everybody else, and we go through all kinds of difficulties and trials just like everyone else. There are dear brothers and sisters in this church who are in the midst of, of terrific battles. There's a, a guy who's a firefighter who is recovering from all kinds of injuries. And um, God did not protect him from that. God uh, allowed him to go through that. And, and um, he's trusting the Lord. There, there are people who have lost the one who they love the most in this life this year and are in the midst of tremendous grief. There are people who are facing uh, what could be death. God might supernaturally heal, but he also might not. We know this, that God is working for the good of all those who love him. That's a promise from God. It's a promise in his word. Amen. So we all know that. I'm not saying that the peace that you will have will mean that you'll have success in an easy life and comfort. What I am saying is that you will have someone who will never leave you, who will never forsake you who will always go with you and who will bring you through this life and into the next. And so, in spite of all of life's troubles, and we all have them, there is peace. 
through the war that Christ has won for us. And so I, I want you to receive it even now. If you are a Christian, rejoice because Jesus was born to rescue sinners from sin. Amen? And if you are not a Christian, I want you to become one right now. That you can, you can trust Jesus even now. And so I'm going to pray for us. And if you are in that position where you, you don't know what it is exactly that you believe and you want to come to, to believe in Christ, then, then pray along with me and do me a huge favor and, and come and talk to me afterwards or after the service there's going to be deacons out here and to the left of the Christmas tree who would love to pray with you and for you and you can find out more and you can come back and learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, I want you to hear this message, okay? Enjoy all of the presents and the family and the feasting and all of that. But also know that Jesus came to bring you peace. He won the war for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you, Jesus, for coming and for, for entering into this, this dark world. And we know that it is still a world where sin and evil happens. You have conquered Satan decisively, yet he has not been finally put in hell forever. And so, though the war has been won, we still have to face our own battles, and you go with us. We thank you for that truth. And we pray that we would rejoice this night, and that we would rejoice that you have come, Jesus. And I want to pray this prayer right now for anyone who, who wants to, perhaps for the first time, repent of sins and trust in Christ. Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I, on my own, I'm in a losing battle. I cannot be good enough. And I always do wrong, and I'm so sorry for that. And I, I just say I'm sorry for all my sins. I repent of them, and I turn to you by faith, and I trust in you. And please, send your Holy Spirit to come in and to make me a new person. I trust that you will do that according to your word. Make me the person that you want me to be. And Lord, I pray that if anybody prayed that this, this evening for the first time, that they would rejoice because they are born again. And I pray that they would tell someone, tell me, tell anybody, and to continue to follow you. Lord, we are grateful for every good gift that you give us. And now we pray according to how Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.